Life Audio. Hey friends, Heather Creekmore here. I'm so glad you're listening to the Compared to Who show today. Today, I've got an interview, the first of a two-part interview with Dr. Carrie Anderson. She's an author. She's a licensed professional counselor. She's a coach. She's a consultant. She's a speaker. She's a retreat leader. And above all else, she is someone who gets it. You will not believe her story. She is going to talk to us today about binge eating, binge eating disorder, but just binge eating in general. If you've had any kind of food issues through your life, Carrie is an expert in in the truest sense of the word, and she goes to some places today that will shock you. They surprised me. So much good stuff ahead. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. Welcome to Compared to Who, the podcast to help you make peace with your body so you can savor God's rest and feel his love. If you're tired of fighting body image the world's way, Compared to Who is the show for you. You've likely heard lots of talk about loving your body, but my goal is different. Striving to fall in love with stretch marks and cellulite is a little silly to me. Instead, I want to encourage you and remind you with the truth of scripture that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved no matter what your size or shape. Here, the pressure is off. If you're looking for real talk, biblical encouragement, and regular reminders that God loves you and you're not alone, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy today's show and hey, tell a friend about it. Dr. Carrie Anderson, thanks so much for being on the Compared to Who show today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I'm excited to to touch your listeners and hopefully somebody will feel validated today. Yes. Well, you have quite the story and I think you and my listeners have a whole lot in common. So I am excited just to dig in. And I think when they hear your story, they're, they're going to be touched right from the get-go, but we're going to go a lot of different places today. We're going to talk about binge eating and we're going to talk about some other eating disorder related stuff. We're going to talk about some of the science behind eating disorders and why some of us might be more prone to eating disorders than others, which I cannot wait to get into that. Mm-hmm. But let's start at the beginning. What's your okay. story? How, how, how'd you get to this place to do what you're doing now? What, what's your background? Right. Well, I was a little girl that found sugar um, as the answer to my anxiety disorder. I didn't realize, of course, when I was eight years old that I had an anxiety disorder, but my nervous system was more sensitive than others. And we were going through a particularly difficult time um, in our family. My mom had fallen into a really deep depression because she'd lost both of her parents Mm. um, when she was just 30 and they were 50, right? So, um, and so her nervous system was just collapsed. And, um, and she was kind of like my protector and, and I, I didn't really know what was going on, but I found sugar Hmm. and I developed this very worn neural pathway between sugar and calming myself down. Hmm. And I was the type of kid that I just actually would take sugar packets Hmm. from a restaurant that I'd stashed in my pockets. And I would go into a restroom or wherever I could hide And I would just pour plain sugar down my throat and then everything was better. Hmm. So I had learned this, what we call now emotional eating 
Um, and some of us will call it food addiction. Let's just, you know, name it because it's a well-worn uh, pathway of a habit in our brain. And so um, when I became older, I was raised, by the way, I'm about 61. And so um, I was raised in the 60s and 70s in terms of my formative years. And so um, I was raised with a family that uh, that really um, embraced the thin ideal, right? Okay. And that, that if you, if you're thin, then you'll be happy. If you're mm-hmm. thin, you'll get married and have this great life. If you're thin, everything. Mm-hmm. And so, and that was, um, uh, so what happened is here, I'm, you know, use food as a way to, you know, manage my anxiety and calm myself down. And, um, and so, I started to get a little pudgy by the time I hit junior high and then into high school and, and, and this was unacceptable. Right. And so what, what does somebody do? They go on a diet. Parents put them on a diet. I was sent to Weight Watchers at 13. Um, And so, and I was really, really good at dieting. Yeah. Yeah. I was really good. (laughs) and um and so I I you know back then they weren't on apps right on phones um but they had sheets and we and I was very good at marking off everything that I needed to eat and if I couldn't get it perfectly I would usually start crying because I wasn't being perfect and but you know all the ladies at the church basement Uh uh-huh that's where, where I went too. I, yep. All the ladies at the church basement, they were so proud of me. And every time mm-hmm. I got off the scale and I'd lost more weight, they all stood and they clapped. Mm-hmm. And I got incredible reinforcement from family, from people at the church, uh, at Weight Watchers and whatnot for losing this 20 some pounds. Um, and so, um, but guess what happened? What? <laughs> as soon as soon as I stopped dieting, I started binging. Mm-hmm. And so um, this restriction and what I now know today is to be food insecurity that our, mm. our bodies and our, our brain gets because we are driven to food as our life force mm-hmm. um, and, and out of survival. And so when we start to mess with that, um, especially in a restrictive manner, we usually will counter it with a bit with binge eating. And I had a a lot of emotional stuff going on in terms of at that time, you know, I would, I always call myself one hot mess in high school. And, um, and so what was happening was I was just binging out of control and I just would, I, I ate anything I could find through the cupboards, whether our house or whether it be, um, at a babysitting house mm-hmm. or whatever, I just rummaged through and I would find anything that had sugar in it. Mm-hmm. I would even pick up my own frosting. Well, today we can just pop off tops yeah. <laughs> of these cans. But back then I would make up my own and I would, I would just eat, I would get brown sugar out of the pantry and eat right out of it. And so I was crazed. And so my mm-hmm. body was kind of the, um, my body was very public <laughs> because it would get very large and then it would small. Then I go on a diet and it gets smaller. And I went through mm-hmm. this for about a decade. What I know today was that I had binge eating disorder and it wasn't actually recognized as a uh, uh, eating disorder yeah. um, until 2013. Um, but it's the most common eating disorder that there is. Mm-hmm. 
and more, we have three times of binge eating disorder to, to the amount of anorexia that we have. And that's what we think of. We either think of anorexia or bulimia, the binge purge. Um, and, but I had it. And so I ended up getting treatment. Um, uh, I went into, by the way, of course I was, um, um, my undergrad degree in my first career was in exercise physiology and nutrition. And so I was just, you know, I was obsessed and I, I made a career out of it. Um, and then, uh, when I got recovery, I went back to school and got my master's in, um, counseling and then eventually my doctorate. But, um, so I've been now treating eating disorders after I got into recovery for over 30 years. And, and what I've learned in my journey as an eating disorder therapist, and that's why I, I recently published a memoir ca- uh, called Food, Body, and Love, but the greatest of these of, is love. And, uh, and it, it really talks about the fear base of the body versus what God intended us to be in terms of in, in love or without fear. And so um, all the stuff that I've learned as an eating disorder therapist, it finally all kind of came together in the Mm -hmm. last 10 years. And I go, ah, I know exactly why I had an eating disorder. Um, And I had no, I have no shame over it because I did the best I could. And I was just trying to survive. And, um, and so that's my message to people is that there's always a really good reason for why you eat in the manner that you eat. Um, until you can figure out otherwise and know differently than you can. Yeah. Oh, Carrie, we got a lot in common. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing going into the church basement for the mm-hmm. Weight Watchers meeting. I'm also picturing, I think what I did, because back then the Weight Watchers, you had a little booklet, I think it was, mm-hmm. where you marked off your servings or whatever. And so I remember sometimes I'd start marking them off for the next day. If I ate too much, oh, I know, see. I, I would steal from from the rest of the week is what I would do. But the babysitting thing, oh my goodness, I haven't thought about that in forever. But yeah, mm. oh, I'm sorry if any of my former neighbors from childhood are listening oh. to this. But well, I, I, I usually through your pantry. <laughs> well, I usually didn't get asked back because I was more <laughs> interested in all of the food that they had that my mom, because my mom always had very healthy food, right we didn't have sugar. And so I was like, usually in these pantries, just with the mother load. And, yeah. and so excited that I didn't, I ignored the kids because I was eating all the food. Huh. Yeah. I haven't had that thought for a really long time, but, but like, I remember, I don't know what's going off in my brain right now. You can analyze me, feel free. <laughs> but I'm like suddenly remembering hearing those words from the, you know, the parents of the kids I was babysitting, like help yourself to whatever you want. Mm-hmm. There's ice cream in the freezer or there's, you know, cookies mm-hmm. in the pantry and like, oh yeah. Okay. That's great. How soon can I get these kids to bed <laughs> so <laughs> I can so I can hit the food and how much time will there be before getting the kids to bed? And you know, and uh, then if the kids needed more attention, it's like, no, you are distracting me from my opportunity to right, sit with right. the television and this ice cream or whatever. So right. yeah, that's all coming back. But I don't think I would have ever said, I mean, you know, and so I'm, I'm a little bit behind you, but, but in the eighties when right. I would have been babysitting, um, early nineties, maybe like we didn't have binge eating disorder. Yeah. So you know, what, what is binge eating disorder? Mm -hmm. Can you give it a definition right after the break? 
Well, good day to you. It's Joel with Viking Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. That um, used to binge eat. And so binge eating is where you eat, um, and it's subjective, but a, um, a large amount of food in a short period of time, more than somebody would normally eat um, in that sort of setting. For instance, it's not, you know, Super Bowl party, or it's not, um, you know, Thanksgiving. Um, and, um, and you do have to clarify it because as you pointed out earlier to me, um, this idea that somebody, you know, just having two cookies is, is a binge. Um, and we're not talking about that. We're talking about clearly, um, a larger amount of food the, the that you would eat until the point where you feel overfull, overstuffed and sick and nauseous. And yet other not being bulimic, we're not going to have a compensatory behavior like vomiting. We're going to actually keep the food in and be miserable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm not suggesting <laughs> that you, uh, that you use a compensatory behavior. The other uh, indicator is that um, once you start eating, you feel compelled as if you can't stop until all the food is gone. Okay. So um, that's part of binge eating. It's kind of like, for instance, if I had, you know, in my binging days, I might eat a whole um, large pizza. And let's say I was so full, I couldn't finish, you know, I, I didn't want to have to stop, stop eating, even though I was so full, I would even just stuff the last piece mm. in. And the reason why is because I didn't want to have to deal with with that piece in the morning, because in the morning I was going on a diet. Uh -huh. Right. So yeah. it's almost like, it's like, I can't, that is on, on a diet, off a diet mentality, this very black and white thinking. Yeah. The other thing that's different than other people that quote, just overeat is that there's a real uh, aftermath of self-loathing, mm. self-hatred over the behavior. Okay. There's this, we call it in, in the field, uh, ego dystonia or um, this cognitive dissonance because our our goal in life is to eat in a certain manner and to look a certain way and we're doing exactly the opposite of what we set out to do it's like it's like Paul talks about in the Bible it's like I do those things I do not want to do why do I do this right and so it's just that it we're compelled uh, to do that. And we feel terrible about it. So it's a really a disease or a disorder of hiding and shame. Yeah. And most people start to eat in private and secret um, one way and eat in front of others in another way. And so mm -hmm. 
Um, not everybody gets to that point. I had it really bad. Um, but so there's, like I said, a continuum. There's some people that, um, their binging looks more like grazing and especially people that have had, um, a gastric surgery or bypass surgery. Um, they can't, their stomach won't hold that much. So they, so they just eat like what they call slippery foods and they're, they're eating a lot of um, food throughout the day, but not in any one sitting. And so different things like, like that might um, also qualify them. Okay. Mm -hmm. But binging is a response to restricting. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to save the science for later, but there might need to throw some science in now, Carrie. (laughs) So what, like, can anyone get away with restricting? Like, why are some people just really good at only restricting? And then some people we restrict and we have to binge like, and, and by saying That's good at really that, good you, you know, I'm not, I'm not glorifying being really good right. at restricting, but, but yeah. coming from that background, I do remember glorifying those who seem right. to be really good at restricting and be yeah. like, Oh, I can't do it that long. I can't do it that quote unquote. Well, right. Like, and it really has to do with our brains. Okay. It does. Okay. So, um, essentially the, the number one factor is the level of what we call food insecurity that the brain, um, has felt or the body has felt in the past. Now, interesting what food insecurity we know today is let's say growing up with not enough food. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you've ever been around somebody that, um, that had been restricted to food for a very long time, for instance, maybe, um, I had a girlfriend that had adopted yeah, um, yeah. A, a child from um, uh, Bulgaria, mm-hmm. came over from an orphanage, and she was hiding food, hoarding food, binging on food, didn't know what to do with food. This is a classic example mm-hmm. of food insecurity. And so because that food is our life force, and if it's been restricted from, from us in any way, what happens is our brain says, I need to get as much as possible right now because I don't know when the next will be available. And interestingly, in hunter, hunting and gathering days, that's how they ate. They binged on the kill or the find, mm-hmm. and then they would go and starve. And so we're set up for this compensatory kind of binging after a period of restriction. Mm-hmm. So our brains in a primitive fashion if we, and it doesn't have to be, for instance, many of the people I work with have food insecurity in the past. They were raised like, and didn't have enough food or they had so many siblings, they couldn't get to the food or, um, you know, latchkey kids and they didn't know when the groceries were going to be there. But we can create our own food insecurity through restrictive dieting because our brain does not know that there's a Costco down the street. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Right. We, we know there's a Costco down the street, right. but if it, it's only based on how we feed ourselves or not feed ourselves, based on creating food insecurity in our brain. The second factor is the impulsivity. There are some of us that have a harder time with um, impulse control. And it has everything to do with our prefrontal cortex and whether or not we have attention difficulty like ADD or um, or just processing disorders. And so some of us 
don't have the impulse control that some, let's say, um, uh, let's say someone with anorexia <laughs> might be able to have, right? Mm. Because we see food, eat food where they can pause and, and stop. And it just has to do with the way that our brain works. Um, so combined with the way that our brain works versus the, um, the way that um, our food insecurity, so both kind of brain disorders uh, basically causes um, the binging in response to the restriction. Okay. So you've, you've triggered so many thoughts. I could just ask you questions for the next seven hours. Um, but we'll, we'll just, we'll keep it short. Uh, impulse control ADD. Mm-hmm. Like, is that something that you find coexists every time you are? Well, not every time I'm well, sure. But I would say most- 50, 50% of the people that have binge eating disorder also have a co-occurring uh, impulsive impulse disorder okay. um, or AD or attention deficit disorder. In fact, okay. the only um, FDA approved medication that there is for binge eating is an ADHD medication. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so not to say that that actually is the best course of treatment, sure. um, but it, we use it if, if we can't get the binging stopped, mm-hmm. um, for short term, but that's not the long term solution because it cuts off your hunger and fullness cues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thought I had was Mm -hmm. with the food insecurity thing. Mm -hmm. So my parents, probably more so my mom even Mm -hmm. would have been raised by depression era Mm -hmm. parents. So I'm wondering what the, what the trickle down is Absolutely. From that with her being raised with, well, her parents raised with legitimate food insecurity, right? Right. And then her being raised with some level of responding to, to their food insecurity. Right. And the the interesting thing about it, it's not just behavioral. Okay. It's epigenetically, um, we can be uh, born with a nervous system with food insecurity. If our ancestors were in the potato famine in Ireland, right? Uh-huh. We, uh, we would even crave potatoes. I mean, there's, uh-huh. it's very interesting how uh, the imprint of our genetic code um, has everything to do with keeping us alive. Wow. So it adapts and changes, right? Wow. That is fascinating. Well, I just also wanted to say uh, what your mother ate when she was pregnant has everything to do with what we crave Hmm. too as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I talked about the, the neural pathways were laid down for me for sugar, um, as a, as, uh, I would move towards sugar and use sugar as a way to calm my nervous system. Um, if for instance, your mother drank, uh, Coca-Cola, and, you know, ate bonbons, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> she it, was a so, dieter. So she was probably drinking yeah. diet soda. And right. Rice then <laughs> then we are actually, we're actually encoded binges, to, right? <laughs> God. Yeah. To crave those things. So it, it really is interesting. It's not just, which it would have been behavioral because most of the people that were raised by parents that had parents that were in the depression, which my my grand great grandparents were uh, in the depression area. Well, we learn things like clean your plate. There's mm-hmm. people that are starving. Don't waste food. You know, we get a lot of those messages that is just through our parenting. And that's 
you know, that's behavioral and cultural, but there is a, a component from a um, um, coding, a genetic coding as well. Mm, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, okay, so going back to this whole impulse control thing, I'm just kind of stuck there for a second because I, so I'm, I'm kind of a, I don't know. I say I'm not good at science, but science is, is very fascinating to me. And I'm always trying to figure things out anecdotally, but this ADD thing, like you, you really hit a nerve with me today on that one, because I've met and I've had so many clients of mine that have told me that that was their diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And, and then I've just kind of grabbed here and there, some definitions of, of that and thought, huh, you know, I think I've got some of that going on. Carrie, will you explain this impulse control thing to me? I'm just trying to get my brain around it. Can you, can you fill that in more? Mm-hmm. Right. So think about your brain is some of our brains get overwhelmed uh, more easily than other brains. Right? Mm-hmm. And so what happens is it's like overloaded circuits. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's all too much. And when it's all too much, we have a difficult time focusing we have a difficult time pausing and making a choice. And so what happens is that we default into our automated, mindless patterns and habits. Mm. And so some people can re- maintain stronger um, impulse control throughout the day, but some of us, we're toast by four o'clock, mm. okay? And it really has to do with, it's not about being good or bad. It's about um, the bandwidth that our nervous system can handle. Yeah. And some nervous systems are more highly sensitive. So they're firing lot, you know, throughout the day and this more hypervigilance. And so they run out of juice. I have this one client that says, doc, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, um, I tell myself I'm not going to binge. And then I find myself driving through the drive-through at two o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, and I said, okay, let me, ask. she goes, I, I can't, I I can't do this. What's wrong with me? And I said, let me ask you this. How did you feel when you were rested, when you woke Mm -hmm. up in the morning? Mm -hmm. What was your intention? Oh, I intended to, you know, really eat mindfully, make good choices. Um, and, And I said, and then what is the difference between how you feel in your body at two o'clock in the afternoon? Well, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And and I said, and are you tired? Yes, I am tired. Your brain is tired. It's done. And so you have more of these habits that are in place um, that you do. So it really is just about how long you can stay online before going offline. Hmm. And then what's the, so then what's the combination there, Carrie, between like, okay, so I've, done the, I don't know, the, a lot of us have done the intermittent fasting thing. Right. So I've tried to starve myself all day. Mm. And and I think for some it's, I'm starving myself all day because I know I'm going to binge later. And so like we're creating our own cycles. Right. But, but I've starved myself all day. So my body is physiologically hungry and my brain is toast because I've done all the things. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that the perfect storm? Oh, What's perfect the, storm. So, so the, which is, I don't know if this is even a good question for you, but it's like, which is more powerful, the physiological response or the, the brain response, or is it just all of it together? It's all of it together. And then, then you add all the rules and the culture mm. about 
how you should eat and you shouldn't eat and what food. I mean, then, the then it gets and shame. Real, yeah. <laughs> you get all the guilt and shame. Then you get, yeah. it gets really clouded. Yeah. So part of the approach with this is going inside and saying, let me learn how to manage my brain and my nervous system. And so that I have more resilience. Okay. And then, and then develop my mindfulness so that I can pause and make a better choice, but you can't pause unless you're able to have the bandwidth. So self-care, self-care, self-care. This is not selfish for somebody that has impulse control problems and, and ADD. You can't, I mean, self-care is, is necessary in order for you to live in a highly sensitive body um, in terms of a nervous system. You just, you have to be correcting all the time, getting yourself back to baseline. You get frenzied, getting yourself back to baseline. And, and so it's a different way of thinking about it. Rather than thinking about how am I going to control my food? You start thinking about how am I going to create resilience and be kind to my body and recognize its, its deficiencies so that I can bolster it up so that I can live myself, my life in my most authentic God-given, um, you know, dis- decision-making in terms of in my value system. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I mean, I can relate to that. I feel like that's been a shift for me just in the last couple of years mm-hmm. is that shift from how can I manipulate my body and make my body do what I want my body to do. So it'll look like I want it to look to, oh, wow. Like I only get one body. Mm-hmm. How can I care for it? How can I be kind to yeah. it? So that's, that's really good. Carrie, there's so much good stuff here. I cannot wait for you to come back and join me in the next episode. We're going to dig more into the science. We're going to dig into something I heard you say about chewing, giving the same kind of feeling as being in community. So that's your teaser to come back next time for the second part of my interview with Dr. Carrie Anderson. Just give the shout out of the name of your book because some people aren't going to want to wait to the next interview to order it. So say the name of the book one more time there, Dr. Anderson. Yes. It's called Food, Body, and Love, but the greatest of these is love. So good. So good. I know you're going to want to go grab that um, and come back for the second part of our interview. And thanks for listening to the Compared to Who show today. I hope something has helped you stop comparing and start living. Compared to Who is so glad to be part of the Life Audio group. Go to lifeaudio.com and find all kinds of great Christian podcasts. We'll see you next time. Before you go, if something from today's show blessed you, may I ask a huge favor? Leave a review on your favorite platform. Seeing your five-star reviews is a huge encouragement to me. 
Not sure how to do it? You can go to comparetohu.me slash podcast, scroll to the bottom, and you'll find all the information. And while you're at comparetohu.me, check out some of the more than 500 articles on there about body image, comparison, all the things you're thinking about. Plus, you can find out more about my books, or you can grab a time for a free 10-minute call to see if coaching is right for you. I'm so honored to be a part of your journey out of body image and comparison frustration. And I can't wait to hear how God is working to set you free. If you're tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling IKEA furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend Abby and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.